0: Hello listeners, and welcome to this episode of The Veris Nentius, your go-to podcast for real discussions on the social sciences. Staying on this month's theme of Filipino American History Month, we will be discussing some current events highlights in this episode, followed by history and political discussions in successive episodes. I'm Alexa, a junior at ISM, and I will be your host for this episode, and I am joined here with...
1: David, and I'm a junior.
0: I'm and I'm a sophomore. Okay, thank you so much. So let's just dive right into it. We will be starting with Extinction on Endangered Species, the updated list, and the UN Environmental Conferences. David, will you start us off please?
1: All right. So, later this month is a biodiversity summit that seeks to tackle the rapid collapse of biological systems that sustain life on Earth. Scientists say both climate change and biodiversity loss are equally important, but the latter has received far less attention. Francis Ogwal, one of the leaders charged with shaping an agreement among nations, said, If the global community continues to see it as a side event, and they continue thinking that climate change is now the thing to really listen to, by the time they wake up on biodiversity it might be too late. Because climate change and biodiversity loss are intertwined, they must be addressed together. However, their global summits are separate, and one is clearly overshadowed by the other. Awareness is not yet where it should be, and it has to improve fast. In all, 22 animals and one plant have been declared extinct according to U.S. federal wildlife officials. Conservationists say that it's a glimpse of what's to come, with human activities like farming, logging, mining, and damming, destroying habitats and polluting the little that's left. Without conservation, many more would have disappeared. But with the drastic rate at which humans are transforming the planet, more needs to be done. A proposal known as the 30 by 30 has gained traction recently, which plans to protect 30% of the Earth's land and water by 2030. Moving on to the uh, COP26 summit at Glasgow. Vladimir Putin will not be going to the UN climate summit later this month, but may make a video speech. The Russian delegation is still expected to attend the conference. A spokesman did not explain the decision, but emphasized that climate change is still high on Russia's agenda. Putin said in a recent energy conference that he was reluctant to attend because of the coronavirus. In that conference, he also announced a plan for Russia to become carbon neutral by 2060. The summit is seen as pivotal to reducing emissions, especially since Russia is the fourth largest emitter of greenhouse gas. It's also a major exporter of oil, coal, and natural gas. The international community sees russia as quote dragging its feet on policy end quote with putin having suggested that some policies targeting climate change are in fact aimed at harming russian energy exports on the other hand chinese officials have not yet confirmed if xi jinping will attend the summit however if he does it will most likely be a virtual attendance China's government has otherwise supported COP26 efforts and promoted their own climate goals, including plans to curb emissions and stop building new coal-fueled projects abroad. As a whole, though, despite pledges by world leaders to tackle climate change, many plan to increase production of fossil fuels. By 2030, nations are planning to produce 240% more coal, 57% more oil, and 71% more natural gas than would be needed to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Reliance on fossil fuels makes it harder to transition to clean energy. Oil and coal sources could also prove very unprofitable if fossil fuel demand shrinks, which can create economic disruption. Currently, the world is suffering from a severe energy crunch with Europe, Asia, and Latin America all facing shortages. The International Energy Agency, recently warned that investment in clean energy needs to be increased to overcome these problems. But disruptions could also bolster calls for more fossil fuel production to prevent shock. The new report calls for closer international coordination to, quote, ensure that declines in fossil fuel production are distributed as equitably as possible, while minimizing the risks of disruption, end quote.
0: Yeah, I think in general, in terms of climate pledges, as we've seen by the recent UN meeting, oftentimes there's a discrepancy between the pledges and the current activities of the nations involved for example although the philippines has promised to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions to 75 percent by 2030 and for china to reduce coal producing activity abroad i feel that its domestic activity has yet to be affected and its uh, domestic use and release of greenhouse gases is among the most uh, emitting worldwide according to its carbon footprints. So I feel that oftentimes these pledges need to be enforced and nations need to be held accountable for their climate activities. And in addition, I feel that they also have to make pledges towards biodiversity and the maintenance of it. I think a lot of us are on vacation currently during October break, and I've just seen the erosion of natural ecosystems around me and i think that it definitely needs to be at the forefront of the international community
1: i guess the main contention with that take though is that for most government officials climate change rarely gets them votes and so if they are self-interested and trying to get a hold of power in offices or in elected positions then naturally taking a pro-climate change or an aggressive climate change stance, especially when sometimes their backers are those of the oil or energy industries, is very hard to come by. Not to mention, the, the countries that are reliant on fossil fuels are more reluctant to stop making it because that accounts for a massive portion of their GDP. If you think about it, if everyone else stops making fossil fuels, then whoever's left earns whatever market share they used to compete for meaning that they earn more by being the last one out and so essentially what we end up having is a race to the bottom wherein everyone's trying to see how long other countries are willing to hold out until they actually enact their pledges that means everyone's gonna keep producing until they really 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 don't until they really 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 have to stop and that just won't cut it anymore
0: yeah for sure i also think that there definitely needs to be a global shift in terms of um, the the economic ramifications of these climate pollutants, for example, carbon taxation, or um, I think there's another there's another one in addition to carbon taxation, but there definitely needs some sort of there needs to be some sort of radical shift in terms of international law to place not only quotas on the use of these greenhouse gases, but also restrictions for them. And I think just as time goes on, um, what really brings me hope is the fact that support for climate action is continuing to increase, Um, especially with Generation Z as more of us um, grow older and more of us gain suffrage. I think there definitely will be a larger shift towards climate support in domestic and national offices. However, for now, I definitely agree with you in that uh, it does not bring the most votes. Um, oftentimes those in support of climate change or those who are um, pro towards any political ideology will definitely have to balance out in favor of what their supporters want from them.
2: Just adding on to that political perspective on kind of climate change and biodiversity, how um, it becomes more biased towards climate change because it's more it promotes a better position for government officials. I think another reason as to why biodiversity is kind of isn't as um, portrayed would be because of media coverage. All over the world, you can see these places where there are clocks kind of counting down how much time we have left to save our planet from the damage of climate change. But we don't have things that kind of warrant that same warning in terms of biodiversity. So it's of lacking in that aspect as well
0: yeah i completely agree 100 percent um sorry i think the other issues i was going to talk about were carbon taxation carbon trading and carbon offset and how they need to be at the forefront of international legislation in order to change the economic incentives for the production and use of coal natural gases and oil because our economy relies so heavily on these items and these goods for trade and economic benefits um so without further ado i think we should probably move on to our next topic eric would you like to cover women's rights in the south korean military so
2: recently master sergeant lee yaram took her own life on may 21 2021 after she was sexually assaulted multiple times by her male colleagues in the south korean military her superiors had attempted to bury her complaints and did not bring formal charges against her assaulters until after her death Although 15 people have been indicted in connection with Lee's case, none of them are high-ranking officers accused of deliberately delaying the initial investigation. Lee's death is an example of the rampant sexual assault taking place in the military against women. With the the military being one of South Korea's most hierarchical, male-dominant, and paternalistic institutions, women are often treated as, quote, second-class, non-essential members, unquote. Although hundreds of sexual assaults are reported every year, most are not reported at all. Less than 40% of the accused face charges, and of those charged, 43% are given suspended sentences and do not have to spend any time in prison. Following Lee's suicide and the ensuing public outrage, the military has begun, has begun to make long-delayed reforms, for example, by mandating that all sex crimes are tried in civilian courts instead of, ma- instead of martial court in order to prevent corruption. However, many critics say that it is the military itself that needs to change and eliminate the gender bias deep-rooted within its system.
0: Yeah, I think um, in general, countries such as South Korea and China, as we've seen in the hashtag Me Too movement, which we covered in last month's Hot Topics episode, I think generally these countries are lagging behind in terms of women's rights and women's independence um, in terms of Sexual assault, sexual assault and sexual assault issues and this definitely needs to be um, covered more in the media and brought to more public attention. Although
1: I guess there's also the counter, uh, the alternate point of view we're in. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's more, even if there's more media, does not mean that change will happen? For example, I, I'm pretty sure Asian culture uh, within these Asian countries definitely plays a role there. wherein in family ties and traditional values, Trump, modern values and ideals and so i think even with the like definitely while exposure and media coverage helps uh there the approach has to be different than from what's happening in the west because clearly the difference between the east and the west is that the east of prioritizes like their national values um so things like family familial piety these things generally don't mesh very well with the ideas that we're trying to bring into our societies today. And so, we, I guess, as people who'd like to uh, promote or foster these ideas, would have to figure out how to mesh that with the cultures that are having a problem um, integrating that.
0: Yeah, but by media culture, I meant more like activism and just fighting for the rights of women and speaking up against their assaults because the majority, the vast majority of cases are not reported to the proper authorities and those that are are often dismissed in, in favor of the respondent, which is usually the assaulter. So I don't know, what, like, what solutions would you suggest? I think
1: media coverage is the right way to do it. However, because I don't, it's, it's a systematic thing. Definitely it differs from region to region or maybe even city or um, culture. So I can't, there definitely is no one size fits all to integrating these values and I guess any value system into uh, an Eastern society, given how conservative they tend to be. I guess I'd suggest s- systematic change, first and foremost, like a, maybe like a functioning reporting system. That's the probably one step in the right direction
0: yeah um definitely has a lot to do with the cultural identities and just ingrained value systems of these cultures but um i think with that we should probably move on to our next topic which is the recent Lebanon clash. So Lebanon observed a day of mourning on Friday, October fifteenth, after a lethal gun battle between the Christian and Shiite Muslim militias erupted in the capital in a faint but dangerous echo of the 15-year civil war that devastated the country. Gunmen first fired on a protest led by Lebanon's powerful Hezbollah movement. Hezbollah supporters then fired back, setting off an hours-long street battle that evoked memories of the country's civil war. Hezbollah and its political allies called the demonstration to urge the removal of top judge from an investigation into the massive blast at Beirut's main port last year, which we all probably remember as it made headlines this time. In a statement, Hezbollah and the Allied Amal movement said that the violence was carried out by quote organized and armed groups aiming to drag the country to purposeful disorder, end quote. Residents stayed inside, monitoring news hence with speculation. Would the violence spiral into a more sustained conflict as sectarian clashes are prone to do in deeply divided Lebanon? However, for now, there is an uneasy truce. All sides are waiting to see what direction the investigation will now take and whether its outcome may be swayed.
2: I find it interesting how it mentioned the Ritz, the massive blast blast at Beirut's main port last year. I've, because that got a lot of media coverage, but it never really looked into what was happening behind the scenes, and seeing things like the Lebanon clash kind of allows us to see how it affects the residents there, and these different smaller bits of things that we never really thought about beyond the larger picture
0: yeah for sure it definitely brings light to the political climate in lebanon especially regarding the removal of the top judge from its investigation um gives public speculation towards what contention may be lying beneath the surface i think with that we should probably move on to our next topic which will be scotus or supreme court of the united states updates So David, would you like to introduce the issue?
1: This 6th of October will mark a historic moment for the Supreme Court as they tackle controversial issues regarding abortion, rights to arms, funding for religious education, and and the role race plays within college admissions. It marks the first time in over a year and a half, ever since the start of the corona pandemic, that most of the members of the Supreme Court will gather together in the courtroom. There's been a change in the composition of the court with three new Trump appointees who are surely solid conservative members, totaling six conservative members, a factor that must have helped push them to tackle these massive social issues for they had previously lacked five conservative votes, which prevented them from changing many laws. Regarding this gathering, Tom Goldstein, a publisher f- of the SCOTUS blog, claims that, quote, it seems like every few years we say we're going to see a radical conservative takeover of the Supreme Court in American law, end quote, but this year they really mean it. Additionally, he believes that, quote, we're going to look back at this as the year in which the conservatives really did fully take over the Supreme Court and American constitutional law, where they got what they were really looking for on the big, hot-button issues that affect all of Americans' lives, end quote.
2: Moving on to the abortion case, in May this year, the Supreme Court made claims that it could possibly challenge a Mississippi law that banned abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. However, a more current issue may lie with the newest Texas abortion restriction, limiting it to a stricter time period of six weeks of pregnancy. The justices have ignored, requ- have ignored requests to challenge this recent Texas law, but this may be subject to change by the end of the term in June. Regarding the Texas law, it was written in a manner that was rather difficult to challenge. As such... A majority of the justices, specifically five, have stated that it was not the right time to tackle it, thus hereby allowing a majority of abortions to be banned in Texas for the foreseeable future. Now back to the Mississippi case, it is a direct challenge to the rulings of a landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade case and the follow-up Casey v. Planned Parenthood case that allowed states to impose abortions given that it cannot be banned before fetal viability, which in most cases occurs within 23 to 24 weeks of pregnancy. The results of the Roe v. Wade case essentially state that women have a constitutional right to, sh- uh, right to abort up to the point where the, when the fetus may be capable of living outside the womb, which takes approximately 24 weeks. The enforcement of this law was blocked, for it was deemed to be unconstitutional. In response to this, the state claims that, quote, the conclusion that abortion is a constitutional right has no basis in text, structure, history, or tradition, unquote. Currently, there are two possible approaches that the Supreme Court could take in the ruling of this case, broadly or narrowly. However, many believe that the court will choose to take the narrow approach, although it may lead to public backlash. Veteran Supreme Court litigator Paul Smith believes that the court will seek to achieve middle ground with claims that, quote, they could narrowly rule that it's not an undue burden, unquote, to have a... To have an abortion restriction for 15 weeks quote under the notion that you will have to give the people the opportunity to access abortion services unquote after the 15 weeks pass.
0: It is a fundamental move for the Supreme Court to tackle the gun rights debate after constantly avoiding such a case ever since the 2008 ruling that stated that the Second Amendment protects an individual's rights to own and keep a gun for the sake of self-defense. The hearing is centered around a challenge to a New York state law that requires individuals to get a special license issued by local authorities in order to carry a gun outside of one's home. A special license can only be attained if one proves that there is a proper cause or need to carry a gun, and many federal courts have debated the gravity of the Second Amendment and what it attests to an individual's right to carry a gun or bear arms. As such, a Supreme Court ruling could clarify the amount of power states had in gun restrictions without going against the Constitution. An advocate for the Supreme Court, Roman Martinez, points out that the New York State has, quote, Put forward a lot of evidence showing that really there were these restrictions that the right to carry arms outside of the home, end quote, even prior to the modern day era.
1: A case from Maine has once again spotlighted the issue of public support for religious education. The state laws dictate that the town can pay tuition for a child's education at the public or private school of the parent's choice, just as long as it isn't a religious school a distinction that may stem from the Supreme Court's separation of state and church. Beyond Maine, many other states have also banned the use of public funds to subsidize churches or religious education. However, just last year, the Supreme Court has ruled that religious schools cannot be left out of state programs that provide parents funds needed for tuition. This was a ruling from a Montana case that declared states may not discriminate against religious status.
2: Moving on to the case, the role that race plays in college admissions. In the past, the court has ruled that race could be a factor of judgment in the admission process. However, it's a ruling that may also be subject to change given the conservative makeup of this new court. The Supreme Court will be hearing of an appeal in a lawsuit from an opponent of affirmative action against Harvard University with regards to discrimination in admitting Asian American students. Currently, lower houses have considered Harvard's consideration of race to be a legitimate effort to promoting a more diverse student community. On the other hand, Harvard's challengers, Students for Fair Admissions, are encouraging the justices to overrule a 2003 ruling on affirmative action which had promoted the University of Michigan's use of race in their admissions process, turning it into a blueprint for multiple national admissions tests.
0: Finally, Goldstein, a publisher of SCOTUS blog, notes a rather large topic of concern for the justices who are currently lacking public support due to the lack of confidence the public has displayed in them. This lack of trust and confidence within the judicial branch may lead to a change in the composition of the justices, one that is done by the executive and legislative branches. For now, many predict multiple conservative victories when it comes to the rulings of these following cases, a judgment that is based upon the court's new composition. I think in general, there is a lot of contention when it comes to the Supreme Court, especially since the new Trump appointees In the past, the Supreme Court has generally maintained a balance of a 4 to 5 or 5 to 4 ratio of Democrats to Republicans. However, this new balance um, leaves way for many supermajorities to be passed in favor of the conservative rulings. Generally, the Supreme Court has nine members, so I think this definitely says a lot for the future of the U.S. judiciary, although the lack of public support does give me does give me hope um about the future of American politics and interventions from the executive or legislative branches can definitely play a role. I think the updates in these cases are definitely addressing many of the original the original amendments to the Constitution or landmark decisions. For example, the right to bear arms uh it attests to the original Bill of Rights or affirmative action dates back to Bakke versus the University of California, and um, generally I think this plays a major role in some of the social issues we're facing today and it kind of gives us the thought of how our present day social needs as a society may contradict with the original intentions of the Constitution, which dates back to the 17 or 1800s from when it was first drafted.
2: I'm also quite interested to see how all of this plays out, considering the um, public opinion that's really been shown in some of these cases, like the abortion case and the right to bear arms. There's been, the public has made it clear what side they're on, and I'm kind of interested to see how the court adapts to that opinion and if that opinion will be ruled in when it comes to the basis of it.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. I think there is definitely a lot of contention and debates um, coming forth with future Supreme Court rulings and cases. So I think with that, we should move on to our next topic, which are the Nobel Prizes for 2021. David, will you take us away?
1: Uh, Sure thing. So every October, six Nobel Prizes are awarded by committees in Sweden and Norway, each honoring a pioneering achievement by an individual or organization in a specific field. This year's Nobel Prize in Physics is awarded with one half jointly to Sikura Manabe and Klaus Hasselmann, and the other half to Giorgio Parisi. They have laid the foundation of our knowledge of the Earth's climate and how humanity influences it, as well as revolutionized the theory of disordered materials and random processes. Benjamin List and David MacMillan are awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry for their development of a precise new tool for molecular construction, organocatalysis. This has had a great impact on pharmaceutical research and has made chemistry much greener. This year's medicine prize is awarded to David Julius and Ardem Patapusha. Their discoveries have unlocked one of the secrets of nature by explaining the molecular basis for sensing heat, cold, and mechanical force, which is fundamental for our ability to feel, interpret, and interact with our internal and external environment. The Nobel Prize in Literature is awarded to the novelist Abdul Razak Gurna, Quote, for his uncompromising and compassionate penetration of the effects of colonialism and the fate of the refugee in the Gulf between cultures and continents. End quote. The Norwegian Nobel Committee has decided to award the 2021 Nobel Peace Prize to Maria Ressa and Dmitry Muradov quote, for their effort to safeguard freedom of expression, which is a precondition for democracy and lasting peace. End quote. The Peace Prize laureates are representative of all journalists who stand up for this ideal in a world in which democracy and freedom of the press face increasingly adverse conditions. Ressa, in particular, is a remarkable one for the Philippines as the country welcomes the very first Filipina and only female to be a Nobel laureate in 2021. Maria Ressa, a Fulbright Scholar, who was also named a Time Magazine Person of the Year in 2018 for her crusading work against disinformation, has been a constant thorn in the side of Rodrigo Duterte, her country's authoritarian president. She has made a valiant stand against the hostility confronting her, more than eight cases of conviction, numerous warrants. Rappler was even castigated in front of the whole world in no less than the State of the Nation address. It becomes more alarming that the government has not made any great effort in commending her, with the senator even saying, quote, to purposely ignore this achievement would be to wash away an amazing victory of a Filipina from our history books. This is a chance for the Senate as an institution to show that it remains true to its values of free speech and genuine democracy.
0: So I just wanted to say that I'm honestly quite happy with the laureates for this year's Nobel Prize I think they definitely highlight social issues more than they have in previous years For example, generally the Nobel Prize in Physics is awarded for astrophysics or in chemistry for, um, for biochemistry or something similar However, this year they have been awarded to many social activists as well highlighting issues such as climate change and earth science and social issues that are menacing our society beyond beyond what is uh, only applicable, applicable to those scientific fields, and I'm especially happy about how they highlighted journalism for the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, if you know anything about Nobel Prizes, sorry I'm a little bit of a nerd, but um, when Nobel first said in his will that he wanted his legacy to be upheld in a series of prizes, many attributed his, uh, his ask for the Nobel Peace Prize to be based on his guilt as he was a former weapons manufacturer. And um, generally there have been some contentious laureates in previous years, such as Obama, Al Gore, but in general I think that the fact that they highlighted journalists, especially those fighting authoritarian regimes, definitely brings a voice to those who are tackling misinformation and informing our society in order to engage in freedom of the press and freedom of speech for individuals in a changing world. With that, I feel that this is a great conclusion for this Hot Topic segment. We hope that this was a great refresher on current events and can help you stay informed on the most pervasive social issues. Our next episode will cover Filipino-American history, so stay tuned for that. And a huge thank you from the Veris Menaches family for listening to this episode. We'll see you all next time. Thank you.